WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk here on WBCA Radio. If you're familiar with radio that goes back quite a few years and the Oscars, uh, you certainly would know the name Bill Deal. And he is with us to discuss two books that he has written and also his radio career itself, which I think is very interesting. And Bill, listen, it's really great to be able to talk with you. When my friend Jordan Rich mentioned your name to me, I knew immediately who you were. Well, that's not bad. That's pretty good. I'll go for that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like me, you loved radio when you were little, right? Oh, let me tell you, that uh, goes way, way back. Uh, 1956, my dad took me to a radio station in Corning, New York, where they make the glass. You might, uh, you know, know about that. They call it the Christmas City. Yep. Yep. And uh, my dad took me to the local station, WCLI, and I saw the announcer there with a record album in his hand, ready to put it on a turntable. And a program was on the air then, Ken. It was the Lone Ranger. And I heard the voice of Fred Foy. I didn't know then who he was, but when he said the Lone Ranger rides again, I said, my God, I'd love to do that. I'd like to be an announcer. Years later, fast forward, Ken, I met and actually worked with Fred Foy when I became a correspondent at ABC where Fred was a staff announcer. He even introduced me on one of the programs we did called Meet the Newsmaker. So there's the backstory uh, of going way back to when I was a a young kid. You know, it was just a, uh, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, It was uh, the start of an adventure, uh, my wildest dreams. uh, I never imagined that I would be doing what I did uh, later on covering the Academy Awards, introducing some of the biggest names. It's, it's been quite a, quite a trip, no doubt about it. I, I know the feeling. I was in the third grade, and we went to WHAM in Rochester on a field trip. And I stood behind the chair of an announcer named Ross Weller, who used to do a program called Cinderella Weekend. And I was hooked from then on. My parents gave me a tape recorder and I got a chance to meet Fred Foy. Um, I was on the air one night and somebody said to me, if you could do a show with just announcers, who would you have? And I mentioned Fred's name. A couple of days later, I got a call from a young lady and said, and she said, is this the gentleman that talked about Fred Foy? And I said, it certainly is. And she said, well, I'm his daughter. Would you like to meet him? And I said, are you kidding? And uh, he came to WBZ and we were friends right up until his sad death. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Rochester WHAM. They had a heck of a signal. And in Corning, it came in like a local radio station, 50,000 watts. And my parents uh, loved listening to that station. They had some uh, news people. I think there was a guy named Jack Ross who was yep. there. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of lot of big names up there. Bill Gibbons, I think that was another name. But Bill uh, Gibbons was a yep. very dear friend of mine. As a matter of fact, he helped me get into radio, and uh, I owe him more than I can ever repay anyone. He he died at the age of fifty three. Uh, much before his time, he came home on a Sunday night after interviewing Don Cherry, who was coach of the Rochester Americans at the time. He went upstairs to change clothes, had a heart attack, and dropped in. Oh, my God. There was another so, guy who worked up there, and he worked at the station in Corning. Uh, his name was Dick Tobias. And yes, he was kind of famous up there, became, I think, a, a big news guy at WHAM. Yes, I loved Dick Tobias. I got a chance to meet him when I met Bill Givens. And uh, 
he was he had a very distinct way of speaking and i don't think i've ever heard, ever heard anybody talk that way but uh it's funny because whim is celebrating 100 years and they do podcasts and they just had one on where they interviewed dick tobias's wife beverly morgan and they played part of a show that uh, Dick Tobias did on one of the other radio stations in the city. So it's funny you should mention that because Sunday I sat here listening to him, as a matter of fact. I've, I've got to listen to that, Ken. I've got to find that one and listen to it because I'm not a big podcast fan, but I have become more so now that uh, uh, I'm promoting my, my books and so forth. But back, going back to those early days, you did probably the same thing. I bought a tape recorder and a little wireless microphone uh, from Allied Radio in Chicago. The mic had a little antenna, and I hooked it up to a big short wave antenna between our house and the garage, and I discovered I could broadcast uh, on an AM radio for up to six blocks. <laughs> it was quite something. I'd, I'd go out on my bicycle with a little transistor to see how far my little uh, broadcast would go. It was quite something. Yeah, I never did anything like that, but my parents gave me a tape recorder and I used to make up radio shows and play records and pretend I was a DJ. And uh, I used to rebroadcast baseball games. I'd sit there with an earphone in my ear and listen to Yankee games with Mel Allen and, and rebroadcast the game and pretend I was him. So I love radio. Bet, I'll bet you were like pretty you good. I thought I was myself. I don't know if anybody else did would have, but uh, I thought I was, and I eventually got a chance to meet Mal Allen, and uh, it was it was it was it's quite a thrill to meet some of these people that you listen to all these years, and um, you know finally get a chance to meet them, and it's like wow that that's the real that's his voice, and and it's not coming through a speaker, it's it's coming right out of his body. <laughs> Did you ever uh, listen to the, the Recreate games? Uh, we did those in Corning, the Corning Red Sox, and uh, the two announcers who were doing the broadcast would sit in there, and there was a guy with a Western Union ticker, and they would look at the little ticker tape from the game from another town, and uh, so, you know, the, you'd see on the little ticker tape Ball one, strike one, or that kind of thing. That was quite yep. something, you know. Yeah, when I grew up, uh, I was a, one of the heroes of my life was a gentleman named Tom Decker in Rochester. And he used to recreate Rochester Red Wing baseball when they would go to Buffalo and Havana, Cuba, when the Havana Sugar Kings were in the International League. And I used to hear him broadcast, and you could hear the tape in the background. And I remember. <laughs> I remember once I interviewed Ned Martin, who was the announcer for the Boston Red Sox for a long time. And he used to broadcast and recreate games in Charleston, West Virginia. And I said to him once, I say, hey, Ned, what, what did you do if the, if the wire broke down? And he said, well, there would suddenly be a lot of beautiful hats in the stands and a lot of foul balls hit by batters. <laughs> the, the guys who did our game uh, in Corning, the Corning Red Sox, they had a little piece, uh, two pieces of wood. And so, uh, you know, when somebody got a big hit, you know, yep. and, and we had a, uh, a slow uh, tape, slow speed tape recorder with crowd noise that we put underneath it to make it sound like they were at the game. Yep. Rochester Red Wings did the same thing. For many years, yep, I used to grow up listening to those, to those games. My dad used to go uh, when Bob Gibson was on his way up to the Cardinals. Uh, he he had a stop in Rochester, and my dad used to talk about what a great pitcher he was, and talk about that fastball that was absolutely tremendous. <laughs> yep, those were now. When you got to New York, I we're getting on a sports topic here. But when you got to New York, you must have had a ball because you were in New York when there were three teams. You're right. Yeah, we had uh, we had, of course, uh, the Yankees, uh, uh, the Giants, and uh, 
Well, let's see. Yeah, the Mets had just come on board back then when I got to uh, WNEW, which was uh, 1967. Yep, the Mets had been in existence for five years, so you missed out on the Dodgers and Ebbets Field. Oh, yeah. But boy, yeah. there are still people around who are so angry when the Dodgers left town. Boy, that's a that's a memory and an angry memory for a lot of big, you know, Dodger fans. I would have loved to have been in New York City at that time with three major league teams. Man, that, that would have been great. But but how did you before you got to WNEW, you you worked in Washington. How did you get there? Well, let's go back just a little bit. Uh, after I graduated from high school and I was a teenage DJ at uh, the radio station in Corning, I had my own show on Saturday night, the Bill Deal show. Uh, and uh, I've decided I wanted to get some more broadcasting experience. Ithaca College offered uh, a course, uh, a major in radio and television. It was called Radio TV then. Uh, Television was just coming on board pretty big. So uh, I went to Ithaca College, but I wanted to keep my finger in radio. So I uh, kept a job uh, going at uh, the local station, WTKO. And uh, uh, I, I was mostly interested in news at the station. So here I am sandwiching in classes and uh, going to the station to do news and so forth. So I kept doing that. I had a first marriage in 1963 and uh, my wife wanted to get her degree in social work. So she said, we're going to Washington, whether you like her or not. <laughs> and so I said, okay. So we packed up uh, our car. I left my $125 a week news director, I was a news director by then, uh, to go down to Washington. I got down there, I don't have a job, so I started sniffing around and WWDC was a local 5,000 watt station and they hired me as a writer for Maury Povich, remember him? Oh sure, very well, in fact he's yeah. ending his talk show career this year. Yep, you're right. Well, you're reading about everything, Ken. Uh, <laughs> hard to fool you. But, but Amori um, Povich's fa father was Shirley Povich, who was a big sports writer for the Washington Post. Yep. And so here I am, I'm writing newscasts. And uh, here's another name that will ring a bell to you. I get a phone call while I'm just, I'm not on the air at the station. I get a phone call from a guy named Chet Curtis. Uh -huh. Know the name well. And Chet said, uh, Bill, there's an opening for a morning newsman. Why don't you come over and audition? So I went over and I got the job. Here I am now, only a few years out of college and, and Ithaca. And I am now the morning newscaster on WTOP, a uh, 50,000 watt station the CBS uh, station in the nation's capital, station where Walter Cronkite once worked. Yeah. So, yeah, here I am yeah. at, uh, at this station doing news. And uh, my marriage then, a couple of years later, well, there's more stories in between. They also put me on television. Uh, they've decided to make me a, a mini TV star. I came on the air doing a five minute television newscast after Ranger Hal, the kids show. And <laughs> that was interesting, but uh, I, I really was not comfortable doing television. If you go to uh, YouTube, you might uh, find my old TV newscast. I looked a little nervous, but I didn't <laughs> screw, I didn't screw up. Uh, so my marriage starts to fall apart and uh, I get another phone call from a guy who was doing publicity at WNEW in New York. And that station might ring a bell to you, does it? Oh, sure. Yep, absolutely. That and the name William B. Williams. Yep, Ted Brown, Jim Lowe, uh, a lot of great uh, station disc jockeys there. But it was a great news station too. They had a 30-man news department. We're talking 1967. Uh, amazing station. 
with some great news people who went on to bigger times. Uh, Ike Pappas was there. He was yep. there. Yeah, he was there in Dallas when Jack Ruby, uh, you know, shot Lee Harvey Oswald. So we had great people who were in the news department. And so uh, there I am now. I got the job early 1967, and I'm now at 50,000 watt station in New York City. I'm now on the, I don't even think they call it the Big Apple yet. Now, did you, do, when did you start covering the, well, you, went to, you had to go to ABC. So how long were you at WNEW? That started in early 67. Uh, early 67, Ken, and uh, let's see, I got an offer for uh, a network job at ABC. And so by the summer of 71, I was working at ABC on the network. On We had four networks then. Uh, they were one of the first uh, to start doing something like that, uh, having four networks with uh, newscasters on every network. Mine was the Entertainment Network, which was kind of misnamed, I always thought. Uh, and then there was the Information Network uh, on the hour, the Contemporary Network, which was at the 55 mark, News at 55, and the FM Network, and they did that at the 15-minute uh, mark, 15 after the hour. So we had all four networks. Paul Harvey was on the Entertainment Network, believe it or not out of Chicago. Yep, I know that name very well. We used to carry his program on WBZ and uh, one of our newsmen who worked there at the time, Gary LaPierre, used to fill in for Harvard when he would take off wow. for vacation time. So I know the name. In fact, we had him on the air one night uh, promoting one of his books called The Rest of the Story. Oh, yes. And, Hello, and he, didn't sound, he didn't sound anything like the Paul Harvey that we heard on the air, he was very quiet, very dignified, very soft-spoken. Oh yeah, couldn't get over it. He he flew his own plane too. He was uh, he was quite something, you know. Uh, but he was something that every station that ABC had wanted him, and uh, uh, he was he was quite incredible. We used to say uh, he was like the top of the circus uh, tent. If we lost Paul Harvey, we would lose a heck of a lot of stations. Yeah, I used to love to listen to him. He, the only one would say, you know, page two, you know, or page three. And then Paul Harvey, good day. Hello, Americans. Stand yeah. by for news. Stand by for news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, and he, some of his, his writing was really funny and pretty damn good for the time. Uh, there, once he uh, said, uh, Elizabeth Taylor fell off a horse. They had a shooter, x-rays. <laughs> that was Paul Harvey. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was a rare breed. And so was a gentleman that is probably more imitated than any announcer around. And that was Howard Cosell, speaking of sports. <laughs> oh man, you you brought up a, a, a memory in my mind that will never be forgotten. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, let's get away from Paul Harvey here. Uh, Howard Cosell had the office next to mine uh, in New York, and he was kind of in the how shall I put it? Uh, Twilight the, of his career. Yeah, he, he was starting to fade a little bit, but. Yeah. Uh, he would walk into the newsroom and sometimes, you know, he would kibitz with me. And uh, once, once he walked into the newsroom and uh, he said, uh, and we got a lot of people standing around, including young interns. And he, I remember, never forget this one. He said, Bill Deal, uh, whatever happened to that girl you had, that little baby out of wedlock? <laughs> <laughs> All these people are looking around. What the hell is Howard Cosell doing now? Uh, but he, he would do his uh, broadcast, you know, from home. And we had uh, a whole mic set up there. And uh, they would tape him before he went on the air and doing his, uh, his uh, daily sportscast. And the engineers loved it because he would start 
talking about anything. Uh, oh, well, it's a pretty bad day out. I don't know if I can do a show again. This is something else. I don't know. So the engineers would tape that and they would give the tape to Dan Ingram at WABC, which was, of course, the big music uh, station. And they would play it. And Dan Ingram would say, well, uh, Howard Cosell coming up with the sports. Uh, uh, how you doing, Howard? Oh, I don't know if I can do another show. This is, uh, this is it's only radio. Uh, <laughs> you can't make stuff like this up, but they did it. They put it on the air. And then once Howard got into a uh, uh, argument with his wife and uh, she found out about it, they were taping. And she came over to the studio and read the riot act to the engineer. She said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to the top of the network and you will not have a job. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were quite devoted. They were married for a long time. His wife's name was Emmy. I remember. Yep, and I, I, I think uh, she died before he did. And I think after she did, Cosell just wasn't the same after that. Whatever he had had, he lost it when she passed away. Yeah, it was very, um, very sad. And you could, you could tell uh, he just didn't want to, it seemed like he didn't want to do it anymore. But you know, Ken, I could picture him now. He would walk into the studio with a little couple pieces of paper and he would do a five-minute sports cast right down to the mark. He never missed a moment. Uh, it was amazing. All ad lib. Yep. I remember reading a book once called Monday Night Mayhem. And it was written by two reporters out of Baltimore. And they talked about how Cosell would ad lib over halftime highlights of, of Sunday ball games on the Monday night telecast. And he would do it right down to the second and finish. And just you'd swear he had a script and he didn't. He had lived the whole thing. He was amazing. No doubt about yep. it. Yep. He was marvelous. I used to listen to his speaking of everything programs on WABC. I always used to marvel at how he could interview Mickey Mantle one minute and then turn around in the next half hour and interview a state senator. I never. Yeah. yeah. Now this year, it's going to be interesting. If I understand it right, this is the first time that the Oscars will be hosted by all women. Three women are going to host the Oscars. Yeah, I believe you're right. I don't. I don't know the names. I don't have them in front of I me. I don't remember them. I don't remember them yeah. either. But, but uh, I always used to watch. Yeah, I always used to watch the beginnings of the Oscars when people like Bob Hope or Johnny Carson used to host it, and to me, their monologue was the best part of the program. Um, <laughs> yep. Do you think it? Do you think sometimes that they went a little long? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Oh, boy. Uh, we would spend a long, long, it was a long night. I think one went four hours and 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, yeah. I started covering the Oscars. Uh, do you want to get into this? Uh, sure. <laughs> in 1982, there was a woman out in California, Jeannie Wolf, and she was our Oscar person, our reporter out there. And our vice president of news, Bob Benson, came to me and he says, uh, Bill, we're sending you out to cover the Oscars. I said, me? I said, I'm a newsman. <laughs> but he said, no, you're going to be fine. He said, we'll send an engineer and a producer with you. I thought, my God, this is, this is really network. And uh, so this is 82. And uh, Jeannie was making too much money. They didn't want to pay her. I was already on staff as a newsman. So uh, 1982, out I go to cover the Oscars. And I'm on the red carpet, Ken. I mean, there's oh. nothing like it. I mean, here, here I'm seeing some of the biggest showbiz names walking by. And they always had a handler who would be with them. And so, uh, you know, they, they might say, uh, oh, uh, uh, here, here comes Cher down the red carpet, you know. So at least you knew who they were. Uh, some of them I did know, but uh, you know, it could be Cary Grant. It could be you know some of the biggest names. Yep. And and I loved it. And then we would go backstage after uh, everybody was in, 
and we would watch the show from backstage. And then the winners would come back and we would do interviews with them. So it right. was it was just wonderful. It was like, you know, the old died and gone to heaven. Uh, and it was a long night, though, because after I had done interviews, got all the stuff on, on tape, I'd head back to our studio out in L.A. And then I would talk to the stations in the morning. Uh, so I'd be up almost all night long. I wouldn't get much sleep. And how long did that last that you kept doing that? Well, the last one was 2007. Wow. Yep. Wow. It was, it was a, a long time. And by then, uh, by the mid 80s, uh, I was the chief entertainment correspondent for the ABC radio network. So I wasn't doing newscasts anymore. But uh, it was uh, just such a, such a pleasure to be, be doing this. And uh, the stations would come on, you know, we had a, a, a live line that we could uh, connect to them. And uh, the morning, usually it was a morning show. And they would say, uh, you know, Bill Deal was there covering the Oscars last night. Uh, Bill, what was the funniest moment? Or <laughs> uh, who was sounding stupid? You know, it was that kind of thing. You could have fun with them. And that was a lot of fun. And, and why did they decide not to send you anymore? Well, first of all, 2007, uh, they had brought in a couple of newer people, younger people, and uh, my, uh, my salary was not the big uh, six figures anymore because they had cut back uh, on things like that. And uh, I think they just decided I was an older guy then. I was, you know, not, not a kid anymore. And uh, they were looking to find people who could do comedy uh, and, so uh, they just uh, decided, hey, we don't need you to do that anymore. But I stayed at the network, and in 2008, uh, they hired me back, and they said, we need someone to do obituaries, advance obituaries. And that was fun because they said, uh, you know, it sounds morbid, but you've interviewed a lot of celebrities in your career, and you've got a lot of material to work with. We still had a lot of tape material from a lot of the big stars, uh, everybody from Sean Connery to, you know, you name them. And so that became the thing that I kept doing. And I'm still doing it now, although our studios have been closed down because of the pandemic. So I haven't been able to get back in the studio and uh, do the, uh, you know, put the equipment together and do it all from home. I can't do it from home. My wife would kill me if I installed stuff in my home. <laughs> all right now let's let's uh you have two books so go ahead and give yourself a as they say in radio a plug <laughs> well the the first uh, one was uh, 2017 and it was called stay tuned my life behind the mic and there's a big picture of me at the academy award right on the cover of the book and now the new one which i just finished 50 Years of Celebrity Chatter, or the time I interviewed a porn star naked. Now, <laughs> yeah, now I was going to get to that. Now, that, sub, that subtitle uh, raised some eyebrows. Uh, several people said to me, uh, do you really want to you know, have a title, a subtitle like that? And uh, Steve White, who was the, the publisher, he said to me, he said, no, he says, that's going to help people uh, want to buy your book because they're going to want to open it up and find out who was the porn star and were you naked? Or <laughs> <laughs> yep, now, and that lady was was Marilyn Chambers, uh, and there's a story behind that. Yeah, well, she had done a movie called Behind the Green Door, but the people at uh, uh, Procter and Gamble did not know uh -huh. that uh, when they put this fresh space young woman on their uh, ivory snow blocks holding a baby so needless to say this became a big news story 1973 ken and yep. uh, our station uh, our network uh, assignment manager said bill we're sending you down to the pussycat cinema i said <laughs> me they said yep marilyn chambers is down there and she's uh, signing autographs and meeting people and doing interviews 
So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll go down there. So I go down there with my little tape recorder and microphone and her manager met me at the door of the Pussycat Cinema and I go inside and there she is stark naked sitting on a podium. <laughs> and I said to her manager, I said, isn't there a quiet place where we can do this? No, no, he said, if you want the interview, this is where it's gonna be. <laughs> so there I am, a Reuters photographer happened to be taking a lot of photos and he took a picture of me with uh, me holding the microphone and talking to her. And he gave me a copy of it on a slide. And I've held on to that for all these years. And so that picture of me with Marilyn is in the book. Uh, you might say you got down to the bare facts. Oh, boy, did I ever. Oh, man, oh, man. My, my <laughs> wife always joked later. She said, I look like a deer in the headlights holding this microphone. <laughs> Here I am, a, what I considered a big network correspondent interviewing a porn star. Now, I know one of the names that uh, endorsed your book was Barbara Walters, whom I oh. used to watch every week on 2020. Miss her. Haven't seen her for a long time. Did yep. you have a good relationship with Barbara? I did. And we got, we got to talk a, a lot, but never live, by the way. All of the interviews were on tape. Uh, we would do a, a taped interview for one of her big shows, Barbara Walters, uh, you know, uh, Oscar show, things like that. But she was kind of uh, a little bit strange, uh, even though she knew that we were colleagues and everything. But uh, she would start talking about something. I would say, uh, well, Barbara, you're doing this big interview with, uh, you know, one of the big stars. Uh, and she, so she would start talking about it. And then all of a sudden she would stop and she'd say, you know, Bill, I think I can say this better if we do another take. Yeah. She was a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't say bad things about her because she wanted everything to be perfect. And it was even in that kind of an interview. So when I started to do this book, uh, I think 2016, uh, I got in touch with her. And she said, okay. She said, I'll do a blurb for your book. And so there it is. She, I've got a, okay, oh, here it is. Yeah, Bill Deal has interviewed me countless times over the course of our respective careers. His knowledge of the entertainment business is vast and his insight is always keen. Well, doesn't get better than that, does it? No, nope, you can't deny that. How's and, she doing health-wise and everything? Not very is she well. okay? No, she's not. Barbara is 92 years old now. Wow. Uh, lives uh, in a very nice apartment on Fifth Avenue. She has 24-hour nursing care. So, really? Uh, yeah. But uh, apparently, and I have not talked to her in quite a long time, she is suffering from dementia, uh, maybe kind of Alzheimer's, I'm not sure. But uh, mm -hmm. she's still with us. But boy, she sure paved the way for a lot of women. She went back to the to early Today Show, you know. Yeah, uh, she started out as a writer on that show. Yeah, and uh, her, uh, her father was a, a big, uh, you know, impresario, brand nightclubs, you know, uh, the Copacabana yep. and uh, all, of, all of those. So yep, she, Lou Walters. Lou Walters, yep, you got it. <laughs> and so, so she had showbiz in her, in her mind, you know, it was all there. And, uh, but when the Today Show was uh, at its uh, early peak way back then in the 60s, uh, th whoever was doing opening the show had to do it first and do the first thing before they would let her say anything. Uh, isn't that something? Yeah. Hugh, Do I... Hugh Downs was with her, Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. And as you well know, years later, they were together again doing 2020. Yep, they did it for a long time. We're in touch, so you be in touch. Yeah. Also on the back of the, of the book, uh, uh, another great guy from the Hollywood days, uh, Leonard Moulton, who has oh, yeah. done, done those movie books and everything. And yep. Leonard was very, very nice to me. Bill Deal is the epitome of the term broadcaster. I guess ah. so. <laughs> I don't know yeah, about epitome, but 
he was he was very is he still around yes he no? is is he, he? he he also did entertainment tonight you know they would put him on but uh yeah he's still out there in, in california and he's got a new book out I've, i'm trying to remember the title now uh, uh well i can't think of it now that's but, all right you'll think yeah. of it in the middle of the night and then you can call me and let me know <laughs> all right no, was I there know it, i know it i know it uh, it's starstruck. <laughs> yep, starstruck, and it's a it's uh -huh. a del delightful book about his days interviewing a lot of celebrities like I have. Were you ever intimidated by the thought of interviewing somebody and then finding out, gee, they ain't half bad after all? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, what are we talking about here? You mean like somebody I interviewed that? Uh, turned out not to be so nice? No, somebody that you thought wasn't going to be and was. Somebody who, say again. All right, somebody who you thought wasn't going to be very good and turned out to be much better than you expected. Oh, oh okay, okay. Uh, yeah, there were, there were a, few, a few of them. Uh, Jane, Jane Fonda turned out, I always wanted to interview her, but I just kind of wondered if, uh, if she was going to be, you know, nice or uh, kind of or something like that, you know, you know, that she had been tagged Hanoi Jane for many years because she went uh, to uh, North, North Vietnam and sat on that anti-aircraft gun. And, uh, you know, she said to me, uh, I said, what about that? And I was a little shocked. She said, Bill, I will go to my grave regretting that photo. Ah, so, now you also you also interviewed Jerry Lewis, um, and I heard a little bit of that when you were on the air with Jordan. Um, we all used to watch the uh, Labor Day telethon every year, and uh, he talked to you a little bit about the breakup that he had with Dean Martin, which was kind of surprising. It was kind of like Lucy and Ricky Ricardo went up. Yeah, I I said to him. Uh, You've got to be pretty, you know, upset, you know, when the the audience out there was angry at you. A lot of people, you know, hated what happened and they blamed you for it. I said, I said, what was that like? And he said, uh, do you like breathing? He said, <laughs> people, people thought he said that I had murdered somebody. And uh, so that was kind of revealing to come from Jerry Lewis. He was a delightful interview, a lot of fun, but uh, he got very introspective about that time in his career. And of course, later when he did the telethons uh, all by himself, they finally, I think, uh, brought Dean Martin in once on one of the final telethons. And they kind yeah, of- Yeah, they did. Yeah. I think yep, they, were, they did. Yep. In fact, here in Boston, Chet Curtis and his wife used to be the local anchors of the uh, Labor Day telethons when they when they had them on the air. Natalie Jacobson, right? Natalie Jacobson, right. Yep, absolutely. But that was always a highlight uh, every year for everybody yep. who was a big I, fan. I, I really miss Chet. He, he was actually a college roommate of mine at Ithaca College. And uh, Chet was a couple of years older than, uh, than me. And uh, when he w went to Washington, that's how... I got into you know another station down there, so he he had a, a big influence on on my my rise to, <laughs> to whatever you want to call it to, to the the big network uh, network time. But there's so many great interviews that uh, that are in this little book uh, that uh, is out there now on Amazon. Can I say that? Oh uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a uh, an ebook. And uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, uh, Jordan, Jordan Rich, uh, said, said to me, he said, why don't you do a, an audio book? You know, I think I might do one. I think you'd probably enjoy it. Oh, I, uh, definitely, definitely. But go ahead and talk about just okay. off the top of your head. Talk about oh, some more oh, interviews oh, that you did. Oh, no, how about uh, Tom Hanks? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, one of the nicest uh, people to interview, sweet guy. Uh, 
And I found some nice, interesting stories from some people that just kind of, you know, popped out of the, the blue. I said, well, I said, how did you get into being an actor? He said, well, he said, I got a job appearing in a knife rack movie. I said, a knife rack movie? He said, I got paid $800. And uh, he said, it was called, he knows you're alone. Uh, he said uh, the woman would be in the kitchen, a knife rack nearby, and the knife is missing. <laughs> ah. And then I told uh, Hanks, I said, I said, you know, I said, Tom, I said, you had that boy next door look. He said, yeah, Bill, but if what if the boy next door is Ted Bundy? <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> oh, very well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. But his, uh, his wife, he's still married, Rita Wilson. She's a singer, and she is a delightful woman. She said to me, she said, uh, Tom is a force of nature. All right, let me ask you this. Is there anyone who got away or anyone that you wanted to interview and never did? Oh, Doris Day. Boy, wow. I'll tell you. My, one of my favorite singers, actors, uh, she just, once my wife and I were uh, driving up the uh, West Coast and we were going to spend a night at Carmel and uh, I knew that she lived nearby and I got in touch with her manager and uh, he said, uh, Bill, I'm, I'm sorry, he said, but she just doesn't do interviews anymore. Uh, but I'll let her know that uh, you are saying hello to her. So that was a big disappointment. Uh, you know, just such a sweet, wonderful actor, actress, April in Paris. Uh, I mean, I'll just remember some of the wonderful movies that she's in. She could be a serious actress too, but uh, that's one that got away. Uh, there are some that uh, I interviewed that I was not too happy about. Uh, if you want to get into that. Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Go worst, ahead. Yeah, one of the worst interviews, Harrison Ford. Uh, ah. but most of my questions resulted in one or two word answers, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, not yeah. really. Well, it went like that for half an hour. Uh, so it was disappointing. Uh, Joel Gray, famous for Cabaret. Cabaret, yeah. He, he had little emotion, just a few words, very disappointing. But Sean Connery, oh my goodness, I... I can't say enough nice things about Sean Connery. Uh, his first film, you know, was Dr. No, right. 1962. And I asked him, I said, was it true that they were thinking of Cary Grant to star? And he confirmed that story, but he said it was unrealistic. The budget back then was going to be a million dollars and that wouldn't even have paid for Cary Grant's airfare. <laughs> I only had one bad interview, as a matter of fact, and it was with Robert Mitchum. Ooh, yeah. And, and he was exactly like a Harrison Ford. Exactly. You ask him a question, yep, or B, or anything's possible. And I, oh, <laughs> and he was promoting the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Mm -hmm. And, um, I didn't want to do that interview any more than he did. He knew I didn't, and I knew he didn't. But we, <laughs> but we got through it. Yeah. Um, you can't help. You can't. You can't. You go, can't go back. You got to do it. Uh, yeah. I also, I also yep. interviewed playwright Arthur Miller, uh, who oh, was wow. married to Marilyn Monroe uh, after Joe DiMaggio, and yep. so, so the one thing that I'll never forget. Uh, he said, Marilyn is off limits. Don't huh. ask, don't ask about it. So there, there you go. But some of the others that, you know, are so much fun, Mel Brooks, George Burns. Oh. Burns had a book coming out. Huh? I think it was called How to Live to Be a Hundred or More. And I said, uh, yeah, it's an interesting title. He said, uh, yeah, he says, I've got to make it to a hundred. I got a lot of old jokes I haven't used up yet. Now that's that's interesting about don't ask about Marilyn because I read in a book that Mike Douglas wrote. Um, he had Judy Garland as a guest, and whoever her agent was said, 
you know, whatever you do, don't ask her to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And he did it anyway, and she loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> loved it. Was, was Robin Williams a favorite of yours? I liked him as a comedian. Yeah, he was kind of, <laughs> he was off the wall. I mean, I heard some of that stuff that you did with him. And he was, <laughs> he was, uh, as Johnny Carson used to say, a piece of work. <laughs> yep. Uh, I had a tough time trying to get an interview with him because he was at a comedy club uh, here in New York. Uh, we're talking way back in the early 80s, I guess. And uh, so I went down to the club and met his manager and his manager said, well, he's pretty busy right now. I don't know if you're ever going to get an interview, but he says, uh, give me your business card. And so I went back to our studio at ABC on the west side. Next day, the phone rings. Bill, Robin Williams here. You still want to do that interview? Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, are you kidding? He said, I'll be right over. So he came over to our newsroom. And uh, <laughs> what's really funny is after he left, and he was hilarious, did a lot of great things, even did a promo for my little show. Uh, after he started to leave, he said, have you got a couple of bucks? He says, I took a cab over here. I don't have any money on me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, our, that's one of our assistants, a lovely young woman, uh, gave him five bucks. You know, I, you, you, uh, I know one of the people that you interviewed was Ed Asner. Uh, I interviewed him one night. And I surprised him and put him on the air with Ted Knight. Oh, we used, boy. they used to work together. And uh, yeah. that was great. And he was he was so good. And of course, he had uh, Mary Tyler Moore, which was the big one. And then he had the Lou Grant show. Yep. Uh, he he was just such a such a special special guy. Uh, and he died uh, not too long ago, I think, uh, maybe last I year. You know? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield, he had an apartment just down the street from uh, where I live here on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And uh, he used to walk his dog in his bathrobe on the street. Okay. Now, obvious, <laughs> que obvious question. Of all the interviews, I mean, if somebody asked me this question, I would tell them the interview that I did with Raymond Burr. But for you, what is the interview that you will always remember for the rest of your life and say, gee, I got to interview that person? Well, I guess if you're, if you're talking about uh, comedians, it has to be Robin Williams and, and Mel Brooks, uh, people like that. Uh, but if, if it's uh, the, the very special, special interview, I guess Alan Alda. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I, I recall asking him uh, if he had any regrets. He said, I wouldn't change anything if given a chance to start over. Uh, and uh, I've mentioned, you know, regrets with uh, Hanoi Jane. Uh, yep. Tony Bennett told me he never looks back that he likes living right now. Well, as you probably have heard, uh, Tony Bennett now is suffering from Alzheimer's and he's 95 years old. But when I interviewed him uh, when he was 85 years old, that was, that was very special. Uh, one of my favorite singers, actresses, Bernadette Peters. Ah. And uh, she was on Saturday Night Live, uh, Ken, uh, and the ABC, NBC censors were very upset because she wanted to sing a song called When You're Making Love Alone. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. she did sing it despite the censors, uh, you know. Uh, another great story that she told me, uh, she once saw Elvis Presley perform. And when he came out, she said, my mouth dropped wide open. He crouched down just before singing Blue Suede Shoes. And he said, I got to get down just for this. <laughs> yeah. She just adored, you know, being there, you know. Uh, I, men I mentioned Mel Brooks. Let me give you one more plug. There's a new movie out about 
the Horn and Hardart Automat, and it's called The Automat. It's a documentary, and my wife is in it. Ah. Yep. Uh, she is in it. Mel Brooks uh, uh, sang a song that he wrote, and that's in the movie. The Automat, of course, were those uh, little uh, uh, restaurants with the little windows. You put a nickel in, and you get a sandwich or uh, spinach or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, my, my, my wonderful wife, Lorraine Deal, uh, is interviewed because she has written a, written a book about the automat. She wrote the book several years ago. And this young woman wanted to do uh, an interview uh, with uh, Mel Brooks, uh, the director. And so she asked my wife if I would, she would be in it. So she does, she talks about the automat. So the movie is not out yet. It's in theaters right now, but it's not out on, on uh, television yet. Hopefully maybe later this year, you'll see it uh, uh, on uh, one of the cable channels. Well, listen, I'll tell you, you are a fascinating individual. We could talk for hours. I'm sure we both have other stories about other celebrities and people and events that have occurred in radio and there's nothing well, we, like it. What's nice to talk to you because you've got such a, a wonderful memory of so many people, people that I know and I've been interviewed. So we had a lot to talk about. We certainly did. And we could probably do it again. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I've got listen, more stories. <laughs> keep, I, I'm sure we could come up with something, but, but you keep that in mind again, it's been, and, uh, to use, I'm sure, an overworked pun, you are the real deal. Oh, and, that, oh uh, that's very nice of you to say. You're, you're a wonderful <laughs> gentleman. I'm glad that uh, Jordan Rich turned me on to you. Uh, and you're a credit to the business. And uh, I'm really, I was really surprised when you mentioned Bill Gibbons' name because he, <laughs> we had an eight-year friendship that was all too short. Well, so, so, so many names that, that came, came up, you know, people in Rochester who yep. I, I knew and worked with, you know, and the people up in Boston and Chet Curtis and all those, yep. all those people that are just uh, sweet, wonderful people. And some of them are not with us anymore, which is sad. But uh, uh, you and I have a, have a, a great relationship with uh, quite a few people. And that's great. Well, sir, I want to thank you for your time and your patience. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. It's been a time, a better, charming, charming hour. God, an hour has gone by already. I just about, yep. <laughs> well, anyway, listen, thanks again. And that will do it for this edition of City Talk. Thank you, Ken. It's been great being with you. This has been just a delightful hour. I really, really have uh, had a great time. So bye-bye. I'm Bill Deal, ABC News. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk. <laughs>